This is a crowd podcast. Go mow if you know Joe and Tom for every bro. Oh, spread the word. Have you heard how to grow more on the Marlis Show? <laughs> Tom, that's actually really good. Quite like Listen, it. my pleasure. Um, this is a special little oh, fucking dickhead. <laughs> Oh, this happens a lot, Jim. Sorry. <laughs> Am I the special fucking <laughs> <laughs> Steve, keep that in. <laughs> no, James, you are not the special fucking dickhead, and nor are you, Perkers. You're both very special, but you're not dickheads. So. Well, actually, we'll find out at the end. It's fine. This is a special bonus episode, though, isn't it, Tom? It is. You'll probably have noticed from our excellent adverts, we've teamed up with Movember. Which was easy for us, Joe, wasn't it? Because they do a lot of great work. Yeah, they do. But this isn't just a big advert. This episode is really important, and particularly if you're a man. But don't listen while you're trying to make the kids breakfast, or doing other stressful things like getting dressed. Or is that stressful, like that. getting dressed? Well, sometimes it is, actually, mate. Oh, it, I did struggle this morning, to be honest. <laughs> what we want you to do is listen, and then sign up at com, and then call your best mate. Just say hi, ask them how they are. If they don't answer, just drop them a text or WhatsApp. Ping! Hi, Tom. How are you getting on? Ping! Yeah, good, thanks, Joe. How are you? No. I think what have I got to do is a, a WhatsApp. You've got to pretend you've got a WhatsApp. Sorry. Ping! No, I've done the ping. Yeah, but my phone's pinging now as well. Okay, ping! Oh, that's nice. Joe's got in touch. He's just like, what's he doing? He's asking me how I am. Oh, that's so Joe. I'll just send him, tell you what, I'll send him one back. Just asking him how he is. Let me just, Joe, thanks for asking. How are you? Ping. No, actually, I've had to put mine on silent because I'm in a studio, so it's. Zzzd, zzzd. Oh, he's replied. Good. Yeah, he's good. Oh, that's good here. Okay. All right. Yeah, I'm all right, mate. Actually, no, I'm not. I'm having a bit of a shit week. Um, fancy a beer? Ping. Oh, I tell you what, I'm going to give Joe a call right now. I am going to say yes to this beer, but I'm going to call Joe. Okay. Because you're my mate and you don't sound like you're having a great time. I'm not just going to leave the message. I'm going to give you a call. Nice. Yeah. Zzz, 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 zzz. Can you answer your own? <laughs> oh, yeah, it's my phone. <laughs> Hello, mate. How you doing? And so on. And so forth. We have two guests today, which is, you know, unusual for us. Never happened before, I believe, on this show. Fagas Crawley. Hello, Fergus. Fergus, can I just double check how you want me to say your name? However you would like. Okay. Whatever feels most right to you, Joe, I think. Okay, yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's a good Which answer. is a risky thing to say, I think. Very, very. But you've <laughs> said it now and you can't... I'm excited for what comes next. You cannot unsay it. Fergus Crawley! Is a long-time Mobro who has lived with depression and tried to take his own life at university. Fergus, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Oh, I like his voice. He's got a good voice. It's nice, isn't it? Yeah, it is. He's, he's got a hint of Scottish. I knew I'd enjoy this. Hey. Compliments already. Hey. It's like posh Scots, isn't it? He is alluring. Hey. He's a posh Afternoon, chaps. Hey. <laughs> hey. How are you doing? It's like being at Murrayfield. It's like being in the main stand at Murrayfield. <laughs> That's not the Scottish... <laughs> is that meant to be Flower of Scotland? Sorry. <laughs> Send them home again. Anyway, I've got to do another line. Um, Fergus, you're on Zoom today, aren't you, mate? I am indeed. 
Now, we could have made you come all the way down from Scotland and been in the studio in person because most people think that if we're going to talk about serious stuff like depression and suicide and and all the other dark things um, that go on in particularly men's heads, we should be in person and we should be sensitive about it. But I personally, I feel that we can talk about it over whatsapp or we should be able to talk about it over whatsapp over zoom over the phone in any which way we feel comfortable in doing so so do you is that okay with you absolutely i think um it's a sign of the times as well whether it has always been easy enough to do or whether it's just a new phenomenon we still need to check in with everyone and still need to be able to have meaningful conversations and we also have james with us james you come in from chelmsford you're a bit more local um you're a Movember ambassador. You've experienced depression, bereavement, PTSD and anxiety. You're also a barber and you're going to give us some Tash tips, aren't you? So the first thing I want to know from you, look at this face of mine. What Tash should I be going for? <laughs> Handlebar. Get in. Wow. Without a doubt, handlebar. That's like the answer I wanted, Joe. Yeah. I like that for me. Straight away, handlebar. Why handlebar for me? It's got to be. Just because of your bone structure. Oh, wow. Uh, There's James, you can come again. Thanks. <laughs> so, Fergus, you've met Joe before. I've never met you. So what's your story? Yeah, so I was a passionate rugby player as I was growing up, and after suffering three concussions in four weeks, I uh, was quickly told that that was no longer the case, as you can imagine. So having had a significant part of my life taken not, not not taken away but a significant sort of component of my day-to-day existence taken away my sense of community my sense of camaraderie taken away I quickly had to fill that void when I was quite young and quite dogmatic in the way I approached things I ended up going to Durham University and at this point I was competing competitively in powerlifting which was an individual sport very quickly found that whilst I was surrounded by lovely people I wasn't surrounded by like-minded people or friends for life, shall we say, and found myself quite isolated quite fast. But as a young, driven, reliable man, I thought, okay, that's just the way things are. Keep plodding along. This is the situation you're in, rather than doing anything proactively about it. And I think an element of complacency, an element of stubbornness led me to that situation. But I basically stayed like that, getting progressively worse for about 18 months. And since then, I've been retrospectively diagnosed as severely depressed because once I entered this state of isolation, I just became more and more bitter and borderline resentful about the fact that I had friends that had worked less hard, been less driven, been less focused than I was, and were having the times of their lives and they they were achieving the things they set out to achieve. But here I was feeling isolated, feeling alone, not enjoying my course, not enjoying my sport as much as I did just because I had this overwhelming sort of loss of self-identity. But as a bloke, as a young man, again, with all these expectations of me, all these expectations of myself, I did not want to admit to anyone that I was letting them down. and I didn't want to be seen as vulnerable. I didn't want to be seen as pathetic, weak, all the standard things you hear when men are afraid to admit that they're struggling. I was always smiley when I was with people. I was always confident when I was with people, but on the inside, I was miserable. And then I realized that a week had gone by where I hadn't actually said a word out loud to another human being. And all of a sudden, I felt more alone, more isolated, and more of a failure 
most importantly, than I ever had done before because my metrics for success were very black and white. And I had gone from having this clear pathway and clear vision for my life and I'd under-indexed on basically all elements of that. So therefore, rendered myself a complete failure by falling short. I, up until that point, hadn't actually even considered mental health a reality. I thought depression was an excuse that weak-minded, less-driven individuals would use as a way out of responsibility or commitment. And when I was getting split in half at the gym by weights, I should be able to do my eyes closed and I was unable to sleep, unable to eat properly, just sluggish all the time. Suddenly, I realized that that wasn't the case and that depression was very much a real thing and it can be a very overwhelming thing. And not long after realizing... I hadn't spoken to anyone. Early May 2016, I I hoped to end my own life. I hoped not to wake up. And when I came around in a puddle of my own vomit, I sat there for about four or five hours just feeling more of a failure than I ever had done, more alone than I ever had done before because the one initiative I'd taken to get myself out of the situation I was in hadn't come off. Um and ultimately, I then started to sort of turn a corner and think, okay, this is this is as desperate as you can get to yourself. And that was where I started to realize that actually I was in a situation that had completely spiraled out of control. And later that evening, as if by fate, which isn't something I actually really believe in, but this is quite a a good supporting argument for the for the inverse of that. I got a text from one of my best friends who was kind of tongue-in-cheek saying, I'm getting a puppy from this litter, you in. And I think he was taking the piss. But at that moment in time, I was like, yes, absolutely. That is 100% what I need right now. In the back of my mind, I just thought, that is structure, that is responsibility, that is meaning to your life because you are responsible for another. A week later, I had a 14-week-old French bulldog on my arms in my total solo care. And all of a sudden, I was working towards my exams again. I was walking in. I was sleeping better. I was speaking to people in coffee shops. I was speaking to people on the street. I was having conversations out loud, which was something that had become quite alien to me. I had suffered in silence from depression for 18 months as a stubborn, masculine young man. And I got as far as I did along that negative spiral because of the fact that I was a stubborn young man. And I perpetuated all the stigmas, all the negative sides of masculinity that I think we all need to do away with and ultimately chose death over honesty, which when you say it like that to me now is just the most unfathomable statement. But having been there, I know how easy it is to to get into that situation. And I basically spent the next year and a half, two years kind of just enjoying being happy again. I had become a much more informed, self-aware individual and I'd As part of that process, in 2018, I I basically decided that I wasn't enjoying my job. It wasn't the right thing for me and decided, right, what are you good at? I'm good at squatting because I was still competing as a powerlifter. Um, What's important to you? Okay, you've had a a battle with mental health. You've done some stuff in November in the past. Moustache, good crack, all that stuff. Something to talk about. Rugby players do it. Good chat. All that that usual stuff. And thought, okay, I'm going to do some sort of squatting-related challenge for November. Obviously, they then decided to try and squat half a million kilos in 24 hours. That's the logical conclusion <laughs> off the back of that. Half a million. Um, but that half a million was to represent the global suicide rate in 2018. And I'd done such a good job of pretending that I was okay for so long that nobody saw my sort of initial statement coming. 
and was very, very shocked to hear that I'd gone through what I had done. Sadly, tore my knee, well, slightly tore my MCL and sprained my patella tendon 125,000 kilos and just over five hours into oh, my 24-hour I, I attempt. Remember, I remember seeing it because yeah. I was kept going on your live feed that you had up and I was like, oh, he's doing it. And then I think I think I might have nodded off for a bit. You know, don't don't question my commitment. I, you know, I do need a little bit of sleep, but I nodded off for a bit and woke up and then went back on it and you weren't there. And I was like, fuck, where's he gone? Is he gone for like a massive poo or something? But you'd obviously then went and did your knee and it was horrific, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it was um, it was a real knockback, but the beauty of it was, and I think this is this is probably one of the most pivotal moments in my memory in terms of like perspective shift. I was on the floor crying in pain. I mean, pain in my knee, but I was also just pretty ruined everywhere else. To be fair, one hundred twenty five thousand kilos worth deep, which was I think it was about two thousand one hundred squats at sixty kilos down. I was so I was in a I was in a pretty negative place. I think it's fair to say, but. <laughs> I just checked my phone. I just read through the messages and there were people up at three in the morning that had work the next day and things that were messaging me saying, you know what? Couldn't care less. This was all about the message. Your body gave up before your mind did. This has been a huge help for me. And the perspective shift I had then in terms of realizing like, holy shit. And that's ultimately why I'm here today and why I'm so passionate about conversations like this one. Apologies for the, uh, for the length of that which I'm sure is a statement that Joe's going to come bite, bite back on, but I'm going to nip it in the bud there. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah, that, that's... You've, you've read me all wrong. You've read me all wrong. Um, I, I would like to say, could you take your apology back? Apologies should be used um, on occasions when they're needed, and you definitely don't need to apologise for speaking so incredibly well um, like you have done there. James, Absolutely. Just wanna... I, I couldn't agree more. Fergus, brother, every time I hear you speak, you're so inspiring. Um, the first time we met was at a, a Mo Sessions. Um, I was telling the guys earlier, um, I came down to London not knowing what to expect from this, this Mo Sessions event. Um, and to be honest, I went just for the free alcohol. Um, <laughs> but you stood up and, and told your story, and I really connected with it, and, and it massively, massively inspired me um, to hear what you've, you've gone through and then kind of turned your, your pain into a passion and, and what you've achieved since just blew me away. And I was like, okay, where do I sign? And I, I joined up with Movember that, that very day and been part of it since. So thank you, brother. That's brilliant to hear. I, d- I wasn't aware that that was the first time you'd sort of been associated with it. So that's fantastic to yeah, hear. Thank absolutely. you. absolutely. What's your story, James? Well, where do I start? Where do I start? Sorry, just before we get started on your story, you've you've unfortunately only got five minutes uh, to tell your story because Fergus is fucking <laughs> for for a good you know half hour now. So Fergus, I'll give you an opportunity to apologise to James for only giving him five minutes if you want to. Or I got that in early. But I'll apologise again. <laughs> Very good. Oh, uh, okay. Well, me myself, um, I've suffered with depression and anxiety for a number of years now um i feel mine was brought on due to bereavement um and, and it was grief that then developed into depression so i lost my mum unexpectedly and my 10 year old nephew in the space of uh six months um six months apart two unexpected deaths and it just rocked my world like destroyed my world destroyed my family and it was just it, it was grief for me 
a real struggle with grief and trying to adapt to getting back to normal life. And I just, as time went on, I, I didn't think I was depressed. I just thought, well, I'm just sad. I'm grieving. I'm grieving. I'm just sad. Um, and then the months went on and then the years went on. Um, and about two years after they passed away, I was drinking so heavily, crying all the time. Uh, I was extremely, extremely depressed, but I, I never acknowledged that. I was I was kind of in denial. I put it down to the grief. Um, and I was hiding it from everyone. I was so ashamed. I was so embarrassed. I felt like, you know, I had to be a man. Um, this, this stigma wrapped around it and how men are supposed to be. Um, I needed to step up for my family, for my dad, for my sister, all the people that I thought were going through it worse than I was. Um, and it got to kind of like two years in and... and the drink and unfortunately the drugs uh it was just too much and I, I was at a point where it was what, what is the point of, of living um I didn't try to take my own life but I was at that point where I, I was given up and I, I kind of didn't see a point of of anything and I reached breaking point and I went to the doctors and, and asked for some help um kind of told them my story and, and opened up my heart for the first time to a stranger and the doctor referred me for uh therapy um, and put me on to some medication as well um, some antidepressants something that I was very reluctant to do I didn't want to rely on anything like that and again the stigma wrapped around that once I then started taking those again I was very embarrassed always hiding them hiding them from the girlfriend I was seeing at the time it was just I was just so ashamed of everything I felt like a failure to everyone but slowly taking that that first step asking for help slowly putting things back into place someone helping me see clearer a bit of clarity to say okay well you know the drinking's not doing you good you know the lack of sleep's not doing you good the drugs the late nights the eating badly or not eating at all um so slowly speaking to someone and then laying it out for me what i needed to do drinking more water regular sleep exercise speaking talking out reach out my therapist made me realize it was actually okay to speak to my family about how I was feeling it was actually okay to cry in front of my family because I was that was you know I refused to do it I had to be strong I had to be brave for them um I couldn't be crying on their shoulders I don't I didn't want their sympathy but she made me realize that that wasn't the case and I remember one day at my sister's house we had to um she was moving uh and and all of my nephew's uh belongings were kind of boxed up and put to one side it was too difficult to deal with once he passed we had to tackle it as a family. So myself and my sister um, and my other nephew, his older brother, um, we sort of started tackling it and, and going through the stuff. And it was it was, it was heartbreaking, as you can imagine, going, reliving everything. And and for the first time, I was like, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go. My sister was crying, I was crying, and I was like, I, I can't I can't I can't shouldn't cry in front of them. I've got to be brave, but sod it, I'm going for it. I'm so you know we're, this is a moment. And we're both standing there crying and, and hugging each other. And then my nephew, the eldest nephew, sort of, I just felt these arms come around the both of us and, and he hugged us and the three of us just had this beautiful moment. And it was like, oh, actually, it's not that bad. We're all feeling the pain. Me being upset is not going to make them upset. Just sharing that and then talking about it and becoming more open and I kind of, the, the penny dropped. It, it took a while. It, it did take a while for the penny to drop, but... Once it did, you couldn't really shut me up. <laughs> so once I got into a, a better place, I decided that I was going to 
see what I can do to give something back to people. Um, and I put together a support group for men and their mental health called Walk and Talk for Men. Something very basic. I kind of put something out on social media. Right, this is what I'm doing. Any man that wants to get involved, the suicide rates are too high. Come down, have a chat. No pressure, no judgment. You know, just come down, talk about your feelings, talk about anything that's bothering you that you feel like you can't talk to to your wife or your friends. Just come down, talk to a stranger. We're going to walk shoulder to shoulder, walk around a nice country park, breathe in the fresh air, see the sights, and we're going to just let these organic conversations happen that men don't have and we struggle to have. So, um, yeah, I put that together and I, I run these walks now um, in Essex. Um, and it was around that time that I, I was invited down to the Mo sessions um, at Movember's headquarters um, when I first thought, saw Fergus speak. And again, I was like, wow, this is just so inspiring that there are other people feeling this way and, and are passionate about just encouraging encouraging men to talk more, to end this taboo, to end this stigma, because there's absolutely no need for it. There's no need to be embarrassed about it. There's no need to tiptoe around it, walk on eggshells. There's no need. It's just a normal conversation. It's no different from me saying, Joe, how's, how's your leg? looks painful. You know, how's your head? Because you don't look right today. It's just that. What, as in physically? How's no, no, I, no. I don't no. physically look right. <laughs> no. well, my nose too no. wonky today. No, you look great, just <laughs> mentally. Um, but it, it should just be that that's straightforward and that's that's the message that i'm trying to get out there as much as i can so getting involved in november becoming an ambassador and doing the best i can do to get help get the word out and reduce those suicide rates and and yeah see seeing what i can do you know just doing my bit what well, great effort Janet. it so, i'm a bit teary i've got to be honest it's you okay no i'm i've found that quite <laughs> emotional when you just say in there james about um you know going shoulder to shoulder with strangers that's a very powerful thing mm yeah, there's something very empowering about it. Um, sometimes sitting face to face, that eye contact, you kind of think, oh, I want to talk to you, but I'm looking in your eyes right now and it's uncomfortable and I don't want you to judge me. But when you're shoulder to shoulder, it's not the case. Same as if you're in a car as well, it's easier to talk. And when we do these walks and people that go running as well or cycling, you're concentrating on something else and you, you, these conversations just naturally happen and and people start opening up, and, and it's a very, very powerful thing. You two are just, uh, and you, Tom, but I meant the two that have spoken, Fergus and James, are just fucking brilliant. The things that you've both spoken about, sharing your story, obviously, Fergus, I, I knew a bit about your story before, but James, thank you for sharing your story and with us and hopefully with the people that are listening to this as well. It's really, really powerful. Um, even more so for me because so much of it resonates and you're right we have to stop treading eggshells to talk because the way i the way i see it look i'm not a professional fergus you sound fucking way more professional than, <laughs> than definitely i do like you're definitely clued up in terms of giving advice in that but the way i see it is that your mental health is the same as your physical health you can have bad mental health and you can have good mental health the same way you can be physically unfit or physically fit and you can change it can't you you can go on a diet you can lift weights you can do exercise you can eat mo everything in moderation you like that don't you and stuff like that and and work on your physical well-being and that's been done for fucking hundreds and hundreds of years isn't it absolutely you know, always a thing but you, you don't think about it for your 
your mind, your emotions, your soul. No. Well, you don't need to work. You shouldn't have to. You don't have to work on that. You, we're men. You know, we're told we need to be strong. This is the way we need to be. We need Big to be boys strong. don't cry. Big boys don't cry. You get told from the word go, don't you? Yeah. You can't. Yeah, you can't. Society tells us that that's yeah. because that's how it's always been. You're the breadwinner. That all the stereotypes you. You you don't cry because you need to be the rock for the family. Yeah. You know, if they see you being weak, then you everyone's fucked. And you're like, you? <laughs> the more you actually say them out loud, you're like, what a complete load of bollocks. Yeah. <laughs> it is a load of bollocks, yeah. and I, I've a lot a lot of your, your story resonates with me about wanting to hold it all in, not wanting to burden my family. Yeah. With how I was feeling, Absolutely. because I'm the one that should be there to listen to them. Mm. You know, I, they shouldn't listen to my problems. I mean, what fucking problems have I got? I haven't got any problems, you know, all that lot. I don't want to be crying in front of my boys because I don't want them to think it's okay for boys to cry. And it's like, are you fucking mad? It's the opposite. Show, showing emotion, being vulnerable is strong. That is showing strength. Being able to deal with the sadness, to deal with unhappiness, as well as dealing with happiness... And, that's that shows real strength and without a doubt, without the more doubt. we can we can do to sort of end that taboo and end that stigma then fucking i'm all up for that mate and the I'm harmful effects that. that spiral on from that that you know holding in your pain for so many months or years then there's going to be an explosion there's something's going to happen and and it's not going to be nice so it's a natural thing and sometimes it's like oh i had a little cry just then wow i felt good i actually feel okay now that's weird. You move on with your day. It's, just, it's a crazy taboo. It really is. It's weird, Fergus, isn't it? Like the, the way you told your story there, the sense you get is how quickly things can fall apart. Yeah, 100%. I think it's... Um, I mean, part of my issue, as I said, is that I didn't acknowledge the reality of where it could go. I kind of just got stuck going through the motions perpetually. And it, it, as you just said, Joe, my, one of my big fears was I didn't want to be burdensome on anyone else. And I was actually simultaneously taking on loads of other people's burdens as a way of kind of disguising or feeling better about the fact that I was potentially going to be burdensome to someone else. It was kind of like a weird... Which, that doesn't make sense, does it? Because you're, more no, than, you're, you're almost more than happy for someone else to burden your life yeah. with their problems. You're like, yeah, I'm here to listen. I want to be the guy that that is strong for you. You know, put all your worries on me. I can deal with it, but... You're being a hypocrite to yourself because you're like, but I don't want to burden you with any of it's my so issues. Weird, it's, it? it's such a strange. But when you're in it, like you described, you don't think of it that way. You just no. because we're told we should we should be this way. We should. There's an element of guilt as well, isn't there? In Ma- that, as you touched on there, like I, I'm there for like things could be worse. Things could be worse. People have it worse. I mean, I was healthy. I was. I had a family that loved me. I, I hadn't suffered from illness. I hadn't lost anyone close to me. None of this stuff. And I was like, why? Why? Why do you feel this way? This is ridiculous. Stop feeling this way because it's unjustified. Mm. You are wrong for feeling like this. Rather than acknowledging, you know what, your situation is wrong right now for who you are as a human being, and that's okay. That's kind of what it all, all boils down to. You don't need to compare your situation to someone else's. Ultimately, if you're lacking fulfillment, if you're lacking a sense of purpose, if you're lacking your sense of self, you're going to feel shit about it. So what do you need to do? You need to tackle those things head on and find solutions. And I don't want to break it down as if it's a simple formula like that. But for me, that's that's kind of the way that I 
wish I'd been thinking when I had those feelings of guilt because it was, it was just ridiculous. Like I was genuinely miserable and I was rationalizing it with myself being like, Oh, well this person's that there's kids in war-torn countries. How on earth can you, a white middle-class male in Newcastle at the moment, a, a sort of Russell group university be feeling this sorry for yourself. It just doesn't add up. But I say again, we're all individuals, which means we all have individual wants, needs, things that we need to fulfill. And it's kind of our job throughout our entire life to, to find out how best to serve those things and ultimately be as happy as we can be. Do you still, um, like, like I said, I'm not a professional, so I don't profess to be, but do you think you're cured? So I, I go with no. questions of thing. Is there a cure for depression? Is there a cure? Like, do you still find yourself in the darkness? Um, or do you think, look, I've, sol- I've solved my, my issues. I've got a purpose. I've got a structure in my life now. I know where I'm going. I know what I want to achieve. And therefore, I'm happy now. I'm cured. I've got no depression. It's gone. Do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm yeah, yeah I, know, I know exactly what you mean. And I think the short answer is no, because I think it's for everybody, it's a sliding scale. And for some people, they've spent their whole life in the middle or slightly either side of it. And that means that they find it hard to comprehend people that are further one direction or the other. I know that I'm susceptible to slipping back sort of one direction in a negative way because I know my personality means I'm very focused on certain things, which means I'm quite self-critical, which means that if I'm not focusing on the things that I know make me feel fulfilled, make me feel happy, I can very quickly become quite defeatist and quite quite harsh on myself. And then what I do is I implement the learnings that I've come across from my own experience and sort of place things into a different framework and it allows me to take small steps to get me back towards the middle of that scale and I I think that everybody is on the scale in some regard it's just that some people stray one side or the other a bit more than others and that's absolutely fine I couldn't agree more mate Um, and there's there's not a cure for it Um, but like you say with experience you you kind of pick up additional tools to your arsenal and, and you kind of if you can acknowledge that you may be slipping, you may see a little trigger for yourself, something might not be right, and you kind of step back and look at the, the bigger picture, which you wouldn't necessarily previously do. When you got to that dark point, you missed all these signs, you missed them, and it got worse and worse and darker and darker and deeper and deeper. Whereas now, you'll pick something up. Um, literally just the other week, I was, I was on a, a massive downer, and I couldn't understand why. And when I just stepped back and took a look at things, I thought, oh, do you know what? I haven't been to the gym for like two weeks. I just went down the gym, lifted as much weight as I could, just tired myself out, and it was like somebody had slapped me around the face. And I walked back out, and I was like, "Oh, that's okay. Like, you know, life's good. Just, just accept. I have to accept that sometimes I'm going to be sad. And, and as a society, we often question why we feel these feelings, but we're human. You know, it's it's, it's natural to have feelings. It's natural to feel happy. It's natural to feel sad. It's natural to feel anger it's just all these things are natural and we question them too much we no one can be happy all the time it'll be exhausting you you just can't do it you're gonna have even the happiest man in the world's gonna have some problems or some down days for whatever reason and that that's okay i love this i love it because we're fucking talking that's why i love it um but we've we've all you've both spoken about there's not a cure for it 
but you've also mentioned about the tools that you have in your arsenal now to cope with that, the mechanisms you've got in your own yeah. mind. And, um, and they're bespoke for me. My Perfect. tools might be different to your tools. Perfect. So you're in a much better place to cope and you yeah. accept and realise that you are going to have shit days and we're all going to have tough days, but you're able to cope with them better than you were previously when you exactly you didn't recognise what was wrong with you or recognise it as an issue and you, you hadn't spoken, you hadn't opened up and stuff like that. Exactly. Which is exactly how I feel personally now. Um, but I found the first step the hardest the actual recognition of it, like Fergus, your lowest point was actually attempting to take your life. And and James, you've mentioned there that you didn't quite get that far, but you got far enough mm. to have those thoughts. And similarly with myself, I didn't go as far as Fergus, but I went as far as thinking about doing it and also questioning why mm. I was here. What's the mm. point? There isn't a point and having that lack of purpose, that lack of self-worth and, and it, for me, it manifested itself in, in anger mm. um, and I snapped and there was an incident that luckily didn't end up hurting anyone mm. physically, apart from myself. Yeah. Um, and it, it is lucky for me that that incident happened, that I did turn over my kitchen, that I did lose the plot because I'm glad it didn't go any further and I'm glad it didn't hurt anyone else physically um, because that was my lowest point. And it made me open up to my wife. It made me address something that I'd been putting off for a number of years. Same feelings that you guys have described that you know, I shouldn't be feeling this way. It's bollocks. You know, I can't feel this way because you know, I'm meant to be a macho tough man. I'm meant to be the breadwinner and all this. You know, I make fire. You know, I go hunting and you know, all that stereotype stuff, yeah. which you, you can still fucking do. Yeah, of course you can do. They're all brilliant. You know, it's nice to make fire, not arson. <laughs> Looking at me with that. <laughs> okay, um, it's still brilliant to do all those things, but also accepting that it's okay to cry it's okay to be sad it's okay okay to show those emotions to my kids to my friends to and all that a lot um but the, the question i ask is how tough was it to actually make that first step to accept that you do have an issue you do have problems that you and you also need someone else to help you at that point extremely tough extremely tough um for me i put it down to being uneducated in mental health, I didn't know what to expect. Um, my first experience was a panic attack I had. I went to a concert at Wembley. I didn't know what was going on with my body and my brain, and I, I couldn't breathe, and I, I was like, what is happening here? And, I, and straight away, I thought, I'm crazy. You know, if I tell anyone this, the men in the, the white coats are going to take me away to the mental asylum, and, and, and that's me in a padded cell. Mm. I, I couldn't open up because that's as far as my education went on mental health. I, I didn't know anything about it. It was, wasn't spoke about at school. I, I, I didn't know anything at all. So it was just, okay, keep it to myself and deep breaths and carry on. And, and when it came to asking for help, it was kind of a case of there's no other option but to go to the doctor and ask for help. And it was very hard very very hard again i felt very very embarrassed i felt a burden to the doctor herself um i sat there and cried in front of a complete stranger and it was very very difficult and then even coming out of the doctors and having to tell friends and family oh i've been signed off work and i've been given some antidepressants even that was was very difficult as well you did a great job doing it that's what i think when i hit when i hear it 
I think, Fergus, the other thing is it can feel like a massive step, but sometimes, like we said at the start, just phoning a mate or texting a mate can be the start of it, can't it? Particularly, like, COVID has been a brute in so many ways, but it's been really hard on people. Movember have done some research saying that a quarter of men globally have said their mental health got worse in the first six weeks of COVID, which is awful and terrifying. But the idea that the situation you were in, how that might have been different if someone had just texted you or you'd felt able just to phone a mate. Yeah, I think it's, um, I mean, it's important to mention for me as well that I wasn't without a support network. I just chose to fuck it off. I just thought... Why? <laughs> because the shame mm. and the disguise and the... It, was, it comes back to the burden thing and the guilt and the you'll sound ridiculous mm. even harboring the notion that you're not feeling the way that you should do. It's a bit embarrassing, isn't it, in some ways? Yeah. It shouldn't be. But I look, I, look, I look back at it now and it's just so nonsensical to me to even think that way. That comes from a place of experience, a negative one, but ultimately there'll be blokes out there that haven't had that experience and might still feel that way. And I think you're dead right in that it's such a simple step to just have a conversation. And as I was saying before with the, with the dog, it doesn't need to be in depth. You don't need to be like, how are you doing? Or how are you really doing? Or how is your, how is your head? What's your Hamilton scale score? Have you been to the doctor or this? It's just, you know what, mate, what were you, what was you have for breakfast? Should we go for a beer? Nah, beer's shite in there. Let's go elsewhere. Just all it takes is a little smirk, a little smile for you to think, you know what? Life isn't potentially as, negative as I perceive it to be in my own mind right now mm. and whenever you have suspicions whenever you haven't heard from anyone in a while whenever you think they might not be acting the, the way that you hope they not hope but the way that they normally do the best thing to do is just think you know what I'm thinking of this person they'll appreciate me thinking of them by just pinging them a message and this is actually something we've done with a friend of mine recently just for some context and he, he won't mind me saying this but I just got a message from one of one of his close friends um, who's known them longer than I have and basically just said, look, look, man, we're, we're a little bit concerned about responsiveness from said person. Um, do you want to just ping them a message, see if you get any sort of response because they might be a bit more open with you given how open you are about your own mental health. And just, we chatted away, had a 15 minute back and forth. I just said, how are you doing? How are things? And we chatted. And then the next day he felt more confident to speak back to the friends that had basically put me on to the fact that he might not be himself in the first place, which is brilliant. I mean, these simple conversations go such a long way, like such a long way. And there'll be people that listen to this, there'll be people that hear this that just think, you know what, my life's, my life's turned a positive corner here. And that positive corner could lead to amazing things, could lead to a different job, a different perspective, different moving to a different city. It could, it could lead anywhere. It, it's you taking back control of your own fulfillment, your own sense of self and, and looking after yourself and looking after the people close to you, which is especially important at the moment. And a WhatsApp text is so simple. It takes nothing. Is Like you just described there, that the simplicity of it, it doesn't have to be, hello, mate, everything okay with your mind? Everything okay with <laughs> your, your mental health? I'm worried, I'm concerned. Do you know what I mean? It, but that's where that's kind of where we are at as men, aren't we? That... We think that we, if we're going to talk about emotions, we're going to talk about sadness, depression, all the dark things, it has to be like a serious conversation. You know, it has to be like a proper talk. Let's have a sit down. 
and you have to talk quite softly and can't really jokes. You re- yeah, you can't, and you got quite, you feel a bit awkward. You're like, oh, everything okay, mate? I'm a little bit worried about it, but it doesn't need to be that. It, it needs to be exactly how you've described it. That you're just not a constant because you don't also want to get to the point where you're asking your mate every five minutes, <laughs> "You okay? Are you okay?" Are you okay? Are you okay? Because the mate's going to turn around and go... You'll get mate, knocked would, out at that would, point, I think. Yeah, yeah. So would you fucking leave me alone? <laughs> Hang on, mate. I'm just trying to check it. I'm checking in. I'm checking in. I'm checking... Well, yes, check in once for me, just then. <laughs> Give me a break and then check it. So we don't want to get to that point, but it's just about talking more and making time for your friends and allowing and accepting that your friends are also going to do the same for you. Recently, I had a small wobble. I text a couple of my mates, how are you doing, boys? Almost as a bit of an outreach, you know, yeah. oh, how are you doing, boys? But they're like, yeah, are you okay, mate? And I was like, no, not really. And they're immediately were like, oh, okay, mate, fancy a coffee tomorrow then? Or, you know, and then we met up the next day and we just had a chat, how's things going your end, how's things going your end? And then you touch on how you're feeling at the minute, what you're struggling with then and, and stuff like that. And in in sort of a casual, conversational way, that's so easy to do, yeah. isn't it? Good, isn't it, James? Good friends. Would you consider doing that when you was at your lowest point? Wouldn't think that at all. And not I'm sure chance. Fergus will say the same. Um, that almost paranoia and, and not wanting to be judged even by your closest of friends. When I check in with my friends, um, I normally get the response, if they're having a hard time, how are you, mate? The response is a bit shit or things are shit, full stop, that's it. Do you want to elaborate what's going on? Nah, don't worry about it, mate. I'm all right. I'll be all right. And that's it. So it's a case of just kind of probing a bit more and come on, don't be a dickhead. Yeah. Come on, mm. let's, what, what are you doing tomorrow? We're going for a beer. And then let that conversation happen. And I, I kind of feel like all of us are putting on this brave face constantly at work, around friends, around family. You don't You don't want people to see a weakness and you don't want people to judge you. But it, it's just as simple as a text and, and not just leaving it as, are you okay? Yes. End of conversation. Just probe it a little bit more, just a little bit more, a few more words and, and, and kind of crack that shell of your friends, especially if you might be worried about someone and if they've had some uh, previous wobbles, it's no, it's no harm done. And what you just said about don't constantly be on them. You don't need to be just a text with a full sentence and open questions there's some nice stuff on the movember website actually joe movember.com forward slash conversations if you listen to this and you're not sure how to start those conversations you don't think you're a good listener there's some nice stuff on there to get people started i think you're naturally good at this joe right maybe this is because of what you've been through but i've noticed in the time i've known you you will actually start conversations with a how are you tom and it's sort of throwaway but if i give you a throwaway answer you'll come back and you'll actually ask and it's a really nice thing about you because it's sometimes it's easy to say you're right blah, 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 talk about myself you genuinely ask how are you well i care i care or and i'm interested <laughs> to see how how you are and also if i'm honest selfishly and i don't know whether you james and you fergus as well feel feel the same about this that actually helps me Massively, there's, yeah, there's part of it that I, I'm I'm describing it as selfish because I do sign view it as a bit selfish, but I don't mean it negatively. But me asking someone how they are selfishly helps me because it gives me a little internal sort of check in of actually I'm asking myself as well 
Do you know what I mean? Selfishly trying to talk to someone or opening up someone or asking for them to share their story or share their any worries or, or happiness or anything share with me selfishly makes me feel better or helps me check in with myself. So that's kind of why I do it twofold because I genuinely want to see if you're okay, how you are. But also it gives me a little internal check-in as well to make sure, am I all right? Am I, am I all right? Make sure I give a genuine answer when when I reply to it. Absolutely, especially at these times as well with the pandemic going on. It's nice to know that you're not alone. We're all going through stuff and it's kind of good to check in with people and like you say, check in with yourself as well. Mm-hmm. Joe, can I ask a little bit of a probing question? And apologies if it's come up anywhere before and I've I've just not caught up in it yet. But No, you can't. We've run out of time, I'm afraid. <laughs> um, you, you had your chance. You fucked it. Sorry. <laughs> it's been on the can. tip of my tongue for a while. But your, um, your return to international rugby, mm-hmm. you, when you made that decision to return, when you thought, you know what, I need to go back, what, what was the real internal thing that drove you there? Was it a lack of fulfilment? Was it just a craving? Was it trophy chasing? Because I know, I think I assume there's going to be an answer that's really quite simple, but actually probably quite internal. Yeah, it was it was mainly for the money. Um, <laughs> that's what I thought. That's what the simple answer I thought would be. Just wanted to go to Japan, <laughs> Yeah, just wanted you know another free trip to Japan. No, um, the real answer is I'd retired uh, internationally in the autumn of 2018 because i'd got another yellow card discipline was again spiraling out of control and i thought that it was because it was the pressure of playing for england you know the spotlight of going away leaving the family doing i thought it was rugby based i thought if i get rid of one of those stresses then i'll be able to cope at work better at rugby better so I got rid of that one but it didn't change I still was feeling the same as how I'd been feeling for the previous 18 months two years very low stuck in a fog consistently crying on my way to work for no reason at all you know I hadn't had a bereavement in my family nothing had really happened so then there was all these guilt questions shame questions in my head like why am I feeling like this and it was a it was a vicious circle really that kept spiraling and then it wasn't until I'd I'd hit my my lowest point in in March of 2019 and I went and got help I went and uh, finally addressed the issues that that was going on with me and started owning stuff more started having that self-awareness having not awakening I don't I hate using all these words that are sort of thing that it was it was definitely a self-awareness of what was going on with me an acceptance of what I was going through and trying to move forward with that and then it got to the point where I was in a really good spot I was lucky enough to go away with the the barbarians and, and play with them for a week and it was one of the fucking best weeks of my my rugby career this group of blokes together, going on the piss, having a great time, getting to know each other, and playing rugby for fun. It wasn't. It wasn't for money. It wasn't for work, or it wasn't to try and win something. It wasn't. There wasn't a goal to it apart from just enjoying each other's company and enjoying the game for what it was. And it kind of clicked in my head. I was like, 
hang on, can I try and do this, have this sort of attitude or approach to it, to rugby, in, in the mindset that I'm in now? And can I try it out? Can I go back and try it now that I'm in a good spot, now that I've got a better understanding of of what was wrong with me or what is wrong with me, and, and now I've got a better tool set to to cope with different things can I go in and try it and uh luckily I was given the opportunity to do that and that's that's why that's a fucking long answer it's not as long as your answer earlier but it is a fucking long answer when the short answer is I was in a much better spot and I wanted to go back I had the appetite like you described there I had the appetite to go and try it from a different perspective now and uh, I was lucky enough to do it, and and I did, mate. I, I enjoyed every minute of it, and uh, yeah, I'm glad I did make that decision. Folks, I don't, I don't want to belittle Joe's return to international rugby and, and how hard he worked in Japan, but you're about to do something which is quite ludicrous. But <laughs> again, <laughs> again, think, yeah. again, not learn your lesson. Has been described. <laughs> can can you just talk to us about this vertical marathon? So, hang on. Before you start, I need to work that out in my head. Uh, <laughs> vertical is so he's going to be on his horizontal. Is normal. Is a horizontal marathon? Do you describe it as a horizontal marathon? Well, you just it's a marathon, isn't it? Because <laughs> everyone does it horizontally. Okay, so this vertical. Is why, yeah, that's that's a logical what, first step. <laughs> so vertical is essentially as if you're um, walking up a building doing it. Uh, that would be even worse than the way I'm doing it, I think. Well, Don't belittle your one first. It's <laughs> that's to be debated. But... Right, you describe it then, because I'm having a really shit time trying <laughs> yeah. to describe so, it. So it's all, it's all quite simple, really. Um, the aim of this project is to encourage everybody to climb their own mountain, because we all have mountains to climb, we all have uphill battles and sometimes i mean this metaphor could go on forever but there's there's false summits there's peaks there's troughs there's ups there's downs etc etc good i like what you're doing here i like it yeah yeah and um i'm i feel most at home and most at peace in the scottish mountains and the idea came to me sort of at the tail end of last year after i'd finished my second november campaign and I thought, you know what, Ross Edgley's done a marathon pulling a car, someone's swam a marathon, there's probably some other stuff. People have done it dressed as the Big Ben. And then thought, no one's ever done one up the way. <laughs> Obviously, that's where my head went. Maybe there's a reason for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, again, that was kind of my second thought. But I, I ran with the idea and it just slowly but surely became something that I thought had legs, which I won't at the end of this. <laughs> um, but the the premise of it is pretty simple in that the aim is to accumulate 26.2 miles of vertical gain and we i say we because this year my coach jonathan payne is coming on board simply because the message is about fighting through these physical well the the the, the challenges and the battles that we all face climbing our uphill battles it's better done together so he's um probably quite foolishly offered his help and full full endorsement by taking it on with me so we are aiming to ascend and descend ben nevis 32 times to accumulate 42,200 meters of elevation absolutely ludicrous which will equate to about 336 miles which is around 540k on foot aiming to start on the 1st of November and finishing at 11am on the 11th to time with Remembrance Day as well, because we've had a huge amount of support already from the military community. 
we need to be open, we need to be honest, we need to fight through the misery of things sometimes. And no one feeling lasts forever, which will have to be something that I'll remind myself of day in, day out as we go into <laughs> this. And we're going to be going through the monotony, the dread, the self-doubt, the shame, the misery, the everything associated with what I experienced when I was going through depression. I'm trying to to put out there again. It's it's a focal point for a bigger message. And I think the, the message of the mountain is is one that we can all relate to in some regard. Folks, it is a superb effort. Um, we should say, if people cannot match what you're doing, which makes sense, Joe, doesn't it? <laughs> they can create their own challenges. You don't have to do a vertical marathon. You can just sign up at movember.com. Yeah, Correct. James, yeah. can you give a, an opinion on Fergus's challenge, just quickly? Because we've obviously called it ludicrous and all that lot. <laughs> I'm speechless, to be honest. It's absolutely phenomenal. We're like... You're like a superhero, dude. See, that's exactly why we wanted James to speak. We've said it's ludicrous, and ludicrous. James and James is going, "No, you fuck it, uh, mate. You fucking go for it." And James yeah, is right, that. Fergus. He is right. James Listen is right. more no, to he'll James. Smash it as well. He'll he will do fucking it and then smash he'll it. Plan his next one. It's just that's just his mindset. It's brilliant. It's inspiring. Like I said before, I approach all these things pragmatically because I'm very excited by the opportunity for me to grow as an individual. And all I really want to do along the way with the physical side of things is encourage people to have a lot more faith in their own abilities and a lot more faith in their ability to change. And people will look at what I'm taking on and probably think that's incredibly stupid and mental. I'd never even consider doing anything like that in my life. But three years ago, I'd be saying the exact same thing. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going into this comfortably. This terrifies me. Mm. It it's should. It really myself. should. It really should. But mate, it's <laughs> massively. He's a superhero. He's a superhero. <laughs> it should scare the shit out of you, but it's fucking massively inspiring. And I know you're going to smash it, mate. So good for you. Yeah. And if people Thank are you. just going to grow a moustache, and let's say just grow a moustache, James, I want some chat from you. Can we describe James a little bit before you come after me? <laughs> um, I would describe him as like a bit of a hipster look. He's got a decent beard on him. It's not a man button, is it? A ma- well, it is a man bun. It's, it's this long hair. That it's long hair that's been yeah. put up. Yeah, yeah. It's, a man bun's more like yeah. bunny on like top. Yeah, okay, I like yeah. I kind of I got that vibe. That's why I was a little bit scared to use the man <laughs> bun. But like we spoke about, you can't be too afraid to... He's got a, a sleeve on his left arm and he's got tattoos on his right arm. Any other tats? Over your body? I've got quite a few tattoos. Okay, yeah. so he's, he's a tat man as well. So he's a, he's a hipster. I'm giving you a hipster sort of half hipster, half pirate. <laughs> I like um, that. Look, and I like yeah. it. I like the way you look. Thank you. Good. He's, I like that. When <laughs> someone actually accepts <laughs> a, a compliment. Accept. It's not easy. Yeah, yes, exactly. I like that, mate. I like that. Moe's. Moe's. You're the man Yep. about the Moe's. Okay. I need you to give some sort of tips and advice on how to grow a mo. Well, people find it quite difficult, but they overthink it. You just grow your facial hair. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Just, wow! So yeah, people are like he's really. Ooh. But that—that's half the fun of it. That's half the fun of it. You have people like us, Joe, that we've got the facial hair. Yeah. Um, as you can see, my moustache is, is kind of huge at the moment, and that's gonna once the beard comes down for November the mo will be looking very prominent and in your face as a barber i kind of feel like i need to do that yeah um other people that want to clean shave and they're worried about you know they're just getting a little bit of stubble it'll come through and even if you do get a, a little itchy one and it's not much on show you just shave the rest of your face and 
people are going to look at you funny. That's the whole point of November. Exactly. And it's going to spark conversation. Yeah. What's that, what's that even, thing about yeah. your top lip? Well, you know, it's November, isn't it? What's even November? If it, even if it starts off slightly negative or you go, oh, mate, what is, what is that? Which is the sort of vibe I think I'm going to have to give you. You're going to grow one, right? Beard grower. Yeah, I'm growing one. Yeah. Also, Joe Marla, I would be quite <laughs> bullish about my chances. Okay. Tom, have you shaved today? I shaved late last night, yeah. Okay, I can see that. It's got some dark that, stuff, yeah, that, not that, I think you've got potential Five o'clock to shadows good. coming through. That, that, yeah. that tash is going to look good. Yeah. Definitely. Thank you, James. Can I give you a call for like shaping tips? Is that right? As I Absolutely. as my mode develops, I'll just come down to my shop and I'll I'll shape it for you. Yeah, I'll do that. I'll pop over to Chelmsford. My, what, what's um, your shop called? My shop is called the Blind Barber, and we're based in Fundersley in Essex. So nowhere near Chelmsford. Ten twenty minutes down the road. I'm not good at geography. You're from Essex, Tom. Come yeah. on. Well, you can just come down together. Car share. Shall I give you a tour of Essex? Don't. Don't do that tone of voice. No, I seen like place. the whole. Of, what you're going to tour me around the whole of Essex? Well, we'll do a weekend of it. Well, I'll have to book it in. The podcast is going to be a great excuse. You're going to find for. You can just say, "Yeah, I'm, I'm doing the pod on uh, tour." Okay, let's podcast go to. On tour in Essex. I want to go to Basildon. On tour, yeah, Las Vegas. Las Vegas. Las Vegas. Yeah. Vegas. You I want to go there. I want to go to Chelmsford. Yeah. I want to go to Farrock. Yeah, maybe put Farrock lower down the list. Why? Is that, is that fair, James? It's got Lakeside there, isn't it? And that's it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, let's go there. Let's yeah. go Lakeside. I'm talking Saffron Walden. I'm talking Burnham on Crouch. What about Colchester? Um, Colchester. Yeah. I think what that's about the Sugar UK's Hut? Oldest recorded city, isn't it? Colchester. Classic Roman town. Yeah. So much of Essex to see, Joe. Yeah, I want to go Sugar Hut. <laughs> Take me Sugar Hut. We'll go. We'll go get our. We'll go get our tash done, and then we'll go Sugar Hut. Beautiful. <laughs> Could be a good night, actually. Let's make that one happen, then. Um, Fergus, are you still with us? I am indeed, yeah. <laughs> oh, thanks. Although it's been slightly weird not being able to see your face again, I've literally been talking to you as if you're God, if he was real. He different might... podcast. Sorry, different podcast. <laughs> or the bloke from the Truman, the bloke who runs the Truman Show. So I'm, I've, most of the time I've been speaking to you, I've been looking up. As if I'm at the top of a mountain crying my eyes out in misery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I was preempting it. So yeah, fine. But it's been lovely to speak to you, mate. And it's been lovely to hear your story again, but also hear about your challenges that you're going to take on for November. And also, uh, James, it's been lovely to meet you for the first time. You've got a lovely aura about you, mate. I really. I like it. I like your beard. I like your hair that's been put up. I like your man bun. Lovely. And thank you also for sharing your story. Thank you. Um, Can I just ask you a quick question, Joe? Of course you can, mate. Uh, Is there any chance you're going to share that bag of meat? (laughs) He has brought a bag of meat. I've been eyeing it up the whole time. James, you're going to come back because Joe has been waiting for a friend to share this uh, bag of meat. This giant bag of meat. Um, Of course, mate, you can have some of this meat. Fantastic. Cheers, buddy. Appreciate that. Um, Last minute product placement, is it? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, hey, enough of that from you, Fergus. Thank you. Hey, Paul, you pack it in, will you? Yeah, yeah. Um, guys, thank you. Let's make sure we uh, we don't stop talking after this pod. Do you know what I mean? Let's make sure we t- continue to talk to our mates, to yeah. strangers, and get men talking more. Yeah, sign up at Movember.com and go and call your best mate. I'm going to go and call Conkers, maybe Champagne Nick, maybe Al. What is with your Nick? Just my mates. Conkers? Yeah, Conkers. What about Ben Durs? Dursey, I'll give Dursey a bell, yeah. 
You're going to be mates with Dirty one day. You really will be. I don't think my wife will let me. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> Go mow if you know Joe and Tom for every bro. Oh, spread the word. Have you heard how to grow more on the Marlis Show? Crowd Network, a place where you belong. <laughs>